0: So Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17, the king enters his city and the king enters his temple. Let's read together. Follow with me as I read. Now when he drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her loose them and bring them to me and I, if anyone says anything to you you shall say the lord has need of them and immediately he he will send them and this was done that it might be fulfilled which was which was spoken by the prophet saying tell the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey a colt the foal of a donkey So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord hosanna in the highest when he had come into jerusalem all the city was moved saying who is this so the multitude said this is jesus the prophet from nazareth of galilee then jesus went into the temple of god and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Well, Father, we thank you for your gospel. We ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate your word cause the gospel which is the power of god to salvation to break into our hearts to break down the barriers break away the hindrances that we would be a people conform to the image of the son that we would be transformed and renewed in our minds that we would be a church that would bring glory and honor and witness to you in the earth we ask this father in jesus name amen So here in Matthew 21 is the account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, why is it called the triumphal entry? Because it was an entry fit for a king. It was an entry that marked the entrance of a victorious king. There were triumphal entries that occurred all the time. In the course of history through empires they were not uncommon in the Roman Empire every time a Caesar would win a victory somewhere in the Empire the, the general who led those troops would come back to Rome and he was given the honor to have a triumphal entry into the city and a parade a victory parade through the city and Caesar the Emperor the Lord of the empire was it sinner sage receiving all the glory because he had ruled over another victory for the empire this is the exact language that paul uses in colossians when it says jesus triumphed over the powers and the principalities and the demons and the rulers of darkness when he triumphed over them at the cross he made an open show in humiliation of them in the heavenlies, triumphing over them in it. That's picturing this spiritual cosmic victory parade that the Lord Jesus had commemorating his victory over Satan, his victory over death, his victory over sin. As we sang in the song today, Jesus came to crush dragon's head and that's exactly what he did and he celebrated that victory this triumphal entry into Jerusalem was the entrance into Jerusalem that would mark that the beginning of that victory it was just six days later that Jesus would be crucified actually it was less than that Depending on how you count and what you believe. Jesus spent this last week, these last days of his life, he spent them in Jerusalem, in the temple, teaching the people. And so when we look at this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and his cleansing of the temple, we should remember that the scripture teaches that we are now in Christ, the city of And the house of God. John pictures for us in the revelation when the angel says, Come with me, and I will show you the bride of the Lamb. John says, I was taken up to a great and high mountain, and I saw the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven, ordained like a bride for her groom. That was, that is the people of God, that is the church that is us we are the bride of christ this is what the scripture teaches us you are the body of christ christ is the lord he is the head you are the body you are the dwelling place of god you are the house of god our assembling here today is the assembling of his body for worship god is in his temple we are his temple we are his house And we are the dwelling place of God in the earth today. God is in the house because you are in the house. God doesn't live in this building because this building is called a church. God is in this building because you, the church, have assembled here today. And you have carried his presence into this building because he dwells in you. And guess what? When you leave this building today, you are a carrier of his presence And you carry his presence back out into the world. You carry it to your home. You carry it to your workplace. You carry it to the places you play. You carry it everywhere you go. Because he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He dwells in you eternally. That is your salvation. That is the gift of eternal life. It is the holy God of creation that dwells within you. The triumphal entry is the king coming into his city and into his temple. And the multitudes go out to meet him and cry out to him with their pleas for salvation. That's what Hosanna means. Save us, Lord. Save us in the highest. Their pleas of salvation and their praise of his glory. All of this was in fulfillment of the prophecies of his coming And of that very day. That very day was spoken of. Was prophesied. We read it. In Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. And be glad in it. Yes this is the day that he has made. But that Psalm is speaking of that day. When the king would ride in. And this is why Jesus. When he is riding in. And the people are laying down their palm branches and laying down their coats from his entry into the city sitting on a donkey to the crowds that lined the way waving branches and laying them down along with their own clothes so that the very feet of this donkey did not touch the earth this was an appointed day that God ordained before time Matthew 21 9 then the multitudes who went out before and those who followed cried out saying hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest the multitudes and the city were moved by his coming but not everybody was celebrating his arrival listen to luke's account of the triumphal entry in verse in chapter 19 verses 39 and 40 And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because the disciples were saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna in the highest. And the teachers, the the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders cried out from the crowd and they said, Teacher, Rabbi, Rebuke your disciples. Do you hear what they are saying about you? And this was the response of Jesus to those religious leaders of his day who wanted to stifle and silence the crowds from crying out to their king and to their savior. Here's what Jesus said. He answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, we might not realize, but Jesus was referencing a specific prophecy that the prophet Habakkuk wrote and declared the word of the Lord. It's recorded for us in Habakkuk 2.11, when Habakkuk is pronouncing the coming judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem by the Babylonians because of their wickedness, because of their rejection of God, because of their spiritual adultery and idolatry. And because they had rejected God, God was announcing the coming judgment. And God said through the prophet Habakkuk, your corruption, your sinfulness will be made known if you don't declare it. He says the coming judgment is going to declare it. I will declare it. I have seen it. I have heard it. And even the rocks will cry out and declare my truth. And my glory and my name. And Jesus when he says. If these do not cry out. The very stones will cry out. He was referring to this prophecy. That spoke of the judgment coming upon Israel. For her sin and her rejection of God. In which the prophet declares. The rocks would cry out from the wall. And the beams would answer to testify. Of the wickedness and corruption of the nation. And as Jesus draws near the city, he looks over the city from the Mount of Olives and he weeps as he prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem because of their rejection of him, because they did not know the time of their visitation. This is recorded for us in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, when Jesus rides up and he sits on the Mount of Olives and he looks over the city of Jerusalem and the Bible says that he begins to weep and he begins to describe the destruction that would take place just within 40 years of his very crucifixion and he said armies will come and build embankments around you and surround you and and there will not be one stone left upon another that's familiar language that's what Jesus said when he was in the temple and he says I tell you This temple shall be torn down. Not one stone will be left upon another. But I will rebuild it in three days. This was given to us in John chapter 2. And John says that Jesus spoke concerning his resurrected body. But those religious leaders and the people of his day didn't understand. They thought he was literally speaking of rebuilding a physical temple made out of limestone. But Jesus said, this temple is going to be torn down, but I will raise the temple up again in three days. And John tells us he spoke spiritually, he spoke concerning his resurrected body. And in this account of the triumphal entry in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus sitting on that donkey crying, weeping over this city that he knows will be destroyed within a generation. Jesus enters the city. He surveys the scene and the first act is to cleanse the temple. The cleansing of the temple. Cleansing of God's house was because of the corruption that had filled it. God's house is called a house of prayer for all nations. And when Jesus cleansed the temple, he affirmed God's holiness and he affirmed the salvation of of God that extends to all nations. Jesus, when he rebukes them in this cleansing of the temple, let's read this in Matthew chapter 12, I mean Matthew chapter 21 verse 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves And he said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. In Mark's gospel actually. It's recorded for us. Jesus quotes the complete verse in Isaiah. This he's quoting Isaiah 56 verse 7. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said 750 years before the birth of Christ. Even then even them I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now that is significant because when Jesus goes into the temple, he doesn't go into the most holy of holies. He doesn't go behind the veil. He doesn't go into the holy place where the altar of incense and the table of showbread and the menorah is set up. He goes to the court of the Gentiles. The temple was designed with different courtyards and they successively led to the most holy place. The most holy place was that small compartment where the Ark of the Covenant was to rest. Many people today don't know, many Christians don't realize that when Jesus went into the temple, there was no Ark of the Covenant there. The Ark of the Covenant had not been in the temple of God since Solomon's first temple. When the Babylonians came and carried away Jerusalem captive, when they came back and destroyed Jerusalem and the and the temple in 586, the Ark of the Covenant disappeared and it has never Been seen again. Now, there's lots of books and there's lots of documentaries and lots of movies about where it is, but here's the reality the Bible doesn't tell us where it is. The Bible doesn't have anything to say about it. The only other mention of it is in the book of Revelation where John says, I saw the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. And why is that? Because that mercy seat, that Ark of the Covenant, always represented Christ. There was no mercy seat in The temple in the second temple when Jesus went in there when he was crucified when the veil was rent from top to bottom and it was opened up there was no mercy seat. There was no Ark of the Covenant behind that veil. It had not been there for over 500 years. And it wasn't there because the true Ark the true mercy seat had come into the temple. God took the shadow out he took the type out he took the copy out because he knew that he was sending the true and he didn't want men to look to the copy so we keep doing that today we keep looking to physical temples and physical mercy seats when the true eternal temple and the true eternal mercy seat has already come and he lives in you and he lives in me And so this was taking place, this buying and selling and changing of money was taking place in the part of the temple that was called the court of the Gentiles. Where did Jesus go? He goes to the court of the Gentiles. Remember, that word Gentile is just a Hebrew word that means nations. So when Isaiah writes, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all goyim, for all Gentiles, That's an interchangeable word. Nations, Gentiles. Gentiles, nations. It means the same thing. It doesn't mean anything different. So God says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all Gentiles. For all nations. That's what that word means. All nations. That includes the Jewish nation. That includes the Irish nation. That includes the Spanish nation. That includes the African nation. That includes, actually Africa is a continent, not a nation. But you know what I mean. Right. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what Ancestry.com says your DNA says. God's house is a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus walks into his temple that represents him down to the most minute detail. He walks into his house. And he goes to the court of the Gentiles, and he begins to drive out the money changers and the merchants. Now, what were they doing in the court of the Gentiles? Why were they there? Listen to, he also quotes Jeremiah 7.11. Jeremiah 7.11, "'Has this house which is called by my name "'become a den of thieves in your eyes? "'Behold, I, even I, have seen it,' says the Lord." Malachi 3, verses 1 through 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Keep in mind, Malachi was the last prophet before John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. Though he's recorded, his life is recorded in what we call the New Testament, he's spoken of and prophesied of by Malachi in the Old Testament. He's the messenger that comes before the Lord. Listen to Malachi. The the last prophet who prophesied before the 400 years of silence. And then John the Baptist comes. And then Jesus comes. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. They were contemporaries. They lived together. They grew up at the same time. John Baptized Jesus in the river Jordan to fulfill all righteousness, the Bible says. Listen to Malachi Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. That's exactly what happened. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. When we celebrate Advent, we celebrate the first time he came into his temple. In the arms of his mother, Mary, with his earthly father, Joseph, to be dedicated to God. And only two people, it's recorded in Scripture other than Joseph and Mary, only two other people recognize the Lord coming suddenly into his temple. That was Anna and Simeon. Now he's come again, but he's not coming as a baby this time He's coming as the king, and he's cleaning house. He will come suddenly to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That's who Jesus is. He is the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. You have a King James Version Your Bible there says fuller's soap. A fuller is a launderer. You know what a launderer does? He cleans things. He gets the dirt out of things. He purifies things. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here in the temple. Who can stand? He's like a refiner, a launderer. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. The Lord came into his temple. Suddenly he cleansed it to purify and purge his house and restore it to its proper purpose, to be a holy house of worship and prayer for all nations, sanctified and set apart for the glory of God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had corrupted the temple. They did not consider the court of the Gentiles to be holy enough to prevent thievery and corruption in that sanctified part of God's house. God sanctified that part of his temple, of his house, for the nations to come and worship and pray in his presence. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day turned that sanctified part for the nations into a marketplace and a merchant place full of thieves and corruption and jesus comes into the temple and he disrupts the corrupt commerce and he drives out the corrupt persons the lord called all israel to repentance and purity in their worship of the true and living god from the sons of levi the priest to the leaders of the nation and the common man, all Israel was to know that God's house was a house of prayer for all nations in a place of holy worship. There was a literal wall of separation in the temple beyond which no Gentile was allowed to pass. This is what Paul references in Ephesians 2. We're going to read it in just a moment. It was in that part of the temple designated for the Gentiles, for the nations As a place of prayer that the money changers and the merchants had set up shop. Now remember in, we read this last week. In Ephesians 2, Paul is writing to the Gentile church and he says, You were once far away, but you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus Christ himself is your peace, having broken down the middle wall of separation the enmity that exists between the two what's Paul talking about it's it's a picture of this wall this 3 meter high wall that existed in the temple that marked the boundary that the gentiles could not go beyond and so no Jew no Jew would allow a gentile to go beyond that wall of separation it just, wasn't, it just wasn't to be. But that wall of separation marked out a dedicated space that God ordained for the Gentiles to be able to worship him and pray to him. But what the leaders of the day in, in Jesus' time did was they turned that court of the Gentiles into a place where they bought and they sold and it was corrupt. You had Roman currency you had to go to the temple to those money changers and you had to give them your roman currency and then they would give you temple currency kind of like if you go to europe for a vacation you you can't take your american dollars you got to turn your american dollars into euros and depending on what the exchange rate is it may be a good deal or it may not be a bad uh, it may not be a good deal and guess what was happening in the temple you took your Roman currency and you had to turn your Roman currency into temple currency so you could give your offering and your tithe to God because that was what the law required. Guess who controlled the exchange rate? The money changers did. You think they made it advantageous for you or you think they made it advantageous for themselves? So guess what they were doing? They were taking a percentage When you would exchange your Roman currency into temple currency. They would take their cut off the top. This is what was happening in the temple. This is what people had to do in order to worship God. And Jesus comes in and he cleans house. The leaders of Israel allowed the money changers and those who bought and sold animals for sacrifice to operate in the court of the Gentiles. There was a disregard for this part of the temple that left no dedicated place for the nations to worship and to offer prayer to God. Instead of sanctifying as holy, the court within the temple dedicated for the Gentiles to worship and to pray, the religious leaders of Jesus day set up a marketplace dedicated to commerce and corruption. Instead of a place of prayer for all nations, this dedicated space had become a den of thieves and was defiling the whole house of God. In Mark eleven sixteen and 18, in Mark's account of the cleansing of the temple, it says he would not allow anyone, Jesus would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And when he taught, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard the words of Jesus and they sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. So picture this. Jesus comes into this marketplace that's, that's set up in a place that's supposed to be for prayer and worship. And he drives everybody out. He overturns all the money tables, and money goes everywhere, and animals go everywhere, and he, he drives everything out. And then he, he begins to teach the people. And he tells them, This is God's house that is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he begins to teach the people the truth. And when he's teaching the people the truth, guess what he's doing? He's exposing the corruption of the Pharisees when Jesus cleansed the temple and proclaimed the truth he exposed the corruption and the sin that the scribes and the chief priests had allowed to exist in the holy house of God they had been publicly exposed and publicly humiliated and they sought to destroy Jesus even as Jesus was destroying their own corrupt works that were designed to secure for them power and position see it was no different then than it is today we think we live in a different time we don't live in a different time we have technology they didn't have in Jesus day but the same things that corrupted back then corrupt today men in Jesus day are seeking what men seek today they want power they want wealth they want position they want control they want to secure their place of power and position so they wrote the laws and made the statutes and made the rules and the people had to live by the rules that the rulers set up. And they all had a nice little system going, a nice little system between the Roman Empire and between the Jewish rulers and this whole system was set up. And it was working really good until Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, He just pulls the sheet back on everything. Flips all the lights on. And says no. This is not going to happen. To the point. That it threatened their. Power structure to the degree. That they began to plot. On how they would destroy Jesus. Little did they know. Their plotting played right into. God's plan and purpose. All along. So Jesus. Jesus is lord of all and he will not allow anyone or anything to subvert his lordship jesus when he went into the temple and cleansed it he was declaring his lordship now what's interesting is jesus actually cleansed the temple three times the first time recorded for us in scripture is recorded in john chapter 2 verse 13 through 16 and that first cleansing of the temple recorded in John chapter 2 was at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. It was at Passover just like this was. Jesus goes into the temple at the beginning of his earthly ministry after he had been baptized by John in the River Jordan. And that first, pap- that first pap- Passover after his baptism, he goes into the temple and he does this very same thing. He cleanses the temple and drives out the money changers. Now on this last Passover, when, when Jesus will actually become the Passover lamb sacrificed for the sins of God's people, Jesus goes into this temple the second time at the end of his earthly ministry. And this is what we see recorded in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19. This is the account we just read, what we just talked about. But there was a third time Jesus cleansed his temple that we, we forget about. We don't even think about. And he cleansed it so thoroughly that it's never gotten dirty again. The third time occurred, the third and final time was when Jesus cleansed the temple that brought about the end or the consummation of the Jewish, Jewish age and the Mosaic system of sacrifice. This occurred in seventy A.D. and is recorded for us in history. This is what Jesus prophesied in in Luke nineteen forty-one through forty-four when he wept over Jerusalem, said, "Armies are going to come, build embankments, surround you, invade you, come into your city, and they will not spare even the youngest of children, and and there will be left nothing for you." And that's exactly what happened in seventy A.D. It's recorded for us in history. Read Josephus. He gives a detailed account of the days, of the months, that that all of this took place. Jesus prophesied this. It's recorded in Matthew 24 and Luke 19, and it's alluded to in Hebrews 9.26 and Hebrews 10.27. The destruction of the second temple was the result of Israel's rejection of the true and final temple, who is Jesus Christ. This is why Revelation says, John says, I saw no temple, for the Lamb is the temple. Jesus is the temple. Jesus himself said in John 2, Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And there's the commentary right there from John. Jesus spoke concerning his body. When they rejected Jesus, they rejected the true temple. And the corruption that filled that earthly temple. Jesus cleansed it three times. And in keeping with the Mosaic law. Because of corruption and uncleanness. The third time a priest goes into a house. That is unclean and corrupt. The third time according to the law. The laws of mildew. That house is to be deconstructed and taken apart. And not to be used anymore. And that's exactly what happened in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. Jesus brought about the final cleansing of that temple. Christ is God's final temple, and we are the living stones that he is using to build it. We must not only accept Christ as God's final temple, but we are to submit to his lordship as living stones being built into the house of god we are to walk in his salvation manifesting his resurrection life by the power of the spirit that lives in us for all the world to see and to know listen to first peter chapter 2 verse 4 coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by god and precious you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone the chief cornerstone of what of the temple God is building the living temple not of limestone but living stones of flesh that is his church and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed The body of Christ. With Christ being the head. Is the temple of God in the earth today. His body and bride. The church is the place. He has chosen for his name to dwell forever. If you are in Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Christ dwells in you. By his spirit. Peter and Paul. Aren't just using. Metaphors. Because it makes for good writing. When they're talking about. God building a temple out of lively stone when when they talk about you becoming the house of God that God is building in the earth today these were men that worshiped in that temple these were men that carried sacrifices into that temple in Jerusalem and offered them to God who are now saying because they understood the prophecy of Jesus in Matthew 24 and Matthew 19 that Jesus said this temple is going to come down and not one stone will stand upon another but I will raise up a new temple. And they were saying, church, you are that temple. The writer of Hebrews says, stop looking to Jerusalem. Stop taking animal sacrifices to that temple and realize you are the temple and the once and for all sacrifice has been made for you in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you whom you have from God and you are not your own for you were bought at a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's you were created to glorify God in your body and in your spirit so Jesus comes and he he cleanses this temple he drives out all the money changers and then what happens the Bible says Jesus begins to teach and then he begins to heal the blind and the lame Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies concerning him written centuries before his birth. In response to the acts of sacrilege allowed by the scribes and the high priests, Jesus not only cleanses the temple, but he commits acts of compassion that testify that he is truly the Christ, the son of the living God, the true Messiah and Savior. One of those significant prophecies foretold the vengeance of a just and holy God who would come and save and heal In his mercy and grace. His people. Isaiah 35 4 through 6. When Jesus cleanses the temple. And then heals the blind and the lame. He is directly fulfilling what Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah 35 4 through 6. Centuries before the birth of Jesus. Listen to the prophet. Isaiah 35 4. Say to those who are fearful of heart. Be strong and do not fear. Behold your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness. And streams in the desert. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well. If you had only asked I would give you living water. And you would never thirst again from the triumphal entry of jesus to his cleansing of the temple to his healing of the blind and the lame the rulers of israel heard and saw his declaration through all of his actions and this is why they and the rulers of this world sought to destroy him the world today is still trying to destroy him through many different means Mainly, the rulers of this world are trying to compromise and confuse the church and establish another gospel that is not the gospel of Christ. We must be like Jesus. We must be bold and fearless in the face of corruption and compromise even when that corruption and that compromise is approved by the rulers of our day, the powers of our day and even when it takes place in the name of God And in the house of God. The rulers of our day say we must rewrite the scripture. The rulers of our day say we just need to take these parts of our Bible out. Because they don't apply anymore. What do you say? What do we say as followers of Christ? Do we trust in the truth that Christ declared? Are we going to be like Christ and stand in boldness against the corruption of the day? This is our challenge today. We must fight against and resist the corruption and the compromise of sin. That infiltrates our very own lives. Even our lives here at Christ Fellowship Church. We all deal with the things that invade our lives and infiltrate our lives. Are we going to stand for Christ or are we going to fall. For a lie and fall in our sin? If you will trust in the grace of God, he will give you the strength, the grace to stand and to be bold. We must be steadfast and faithful to the calling of God upon our lives to give witness to his gospel and his glory through our daily lives and through our weekly assemblies that testify of his authority and his wisdom and to wage war in the spirit. Remember, our worship is warfare. Our worship is with authority. Our worship declares his wisdom, the powers and the principality and all those around us. The king came into his city and into his temple and he declared this is a place, a house of worship. That means you are church. You are today a house of worship. What's happening in your house? Is it honoring him? Or is your house compromised? Jesus stands ready to cleanse his house. If you are his child, he will cleanse your house, not in judgment, not in wrath, but in love. To make you what he has created you anew to become temple of the Holy Spirit the holy dwelling place of God a temple full of light where there is no darkness this is Paul's point in his letter to the Corinthians what fellowship does light have with darkness he's not just talking about believers and unbelievers getting married though that absolutely applies but it's much more than that it's about our it's about our interaction in the world what is our interaction with the darkness? Do we recognize darkness? Do we, do we resist the darkness? Or do we embrace the darkness? Do we hold the darkness at bay? Or do we open the door of our house and invite the darkness in? Jesus said drive the darkness out. Don't compromise. Don't allow corruption to come into your house. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He washes, he cleanses, he sanctifies, he helps us walk in the paths of righteousness. He makes us holy and clean and pure before God. You can't do that. Only God can do that. But since God has done that in you by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, will you not walk consistent with that truth? If God has made you holy by his blood, will you not walk holy? This is what Jesus desires for his house. We come to this table each week. And each week it reminds us. That we are not able in ourselves. To be pure and holy in ourselves. But we are only pure and holy. As we trust in one. Who is other than us. One who is greater than us. One who has a righteousness is given to us and makes us righteous. One who is holy and imparts his holiness to us and makes us holy. And when we come to this table, we come affirming our commitment to walk in that holiness. To be that house of God, to be that light, to be the salt that this earth, that this world needs as a witness to the glory of God. And the power of his gospel. Amen. I want to invite you to come to the table. Let's stand. Here is your charge today. Jesus has entered his city. And come into his temple. And we are that city. The holy Jerusalem. And we are that temple. His spiritual house. His dwelling place in the earth today. We are the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are to live as such, to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, to reckon ourselves holy and set apart for God and his glory. You and I are not our own. We have been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem led to his death on the cross and his death on the cross seemed for a moment like defeat but he is the God of resurrection. He is the victor over sin and over death and over the grave. He is risen and so are you if you are in Christ. Live like a risen one. Live like one who has victory over death for we do in Christ. If you are in Christ, you literally have been raised from the dead. The question is, does your life demonstrate the thankfulness of one raised from the dead? Or does our life demonstrate that we take that miraculous reality for granted? You are the church. You are the blood-bought. You are the redeemed. Hell and death tremble in your presence. For the Lord of glory goes before us. We are not to be timid, but bold. We are not to be half-hearted, but fully committed to his worship and to his glory. Jesus paid the highest price for our salvation. We are to live a life that reflects that price and that glory that has been given to us through eternal life and salvation in Jesus. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is the command given to us. In scripture.